I'm joined by Dr. Ronell Langley, founder of the Cedar Valley Center for Resiliency and Well-Being in Cedar Falls, Iowa, licensed psychologist in Iowa and executive coach who founded Executive Coaching International to share thoughts about what it means to take ownership of one's mental health. And specifically, we'll explore Dr. Langley's view on what it means to be resilient. That's a word we hear a lot these days. At the outset of our discussion, I, I want to important, it's important to acknowledge that seeking care from a qualified mental health care professional, such as a health service psychologist, is a great example of what taking ownership of your mental health looks like. But with that said, Dr. Langley, tell me a little bit about what it means from your perspective to take ownership of your mental health. Great question, and thanks for having me on the show, Daniel. Yes, to take ownership of our health, I think people are perhaps more clear about what that means because, you know, if we have high blood pressure or problems with cholesterol, people know they will go and see their primary care physician. But when we feel stressed, you know, mental health providers are there to train you with some coping skill to take better care of your health and well-being, but it is much harder for people to, to, to take that step for some reason but also to recognize those symptoms and know what we need. So how might one recognize that they should in fact seek care? You know, I, I think all of us, I can't think of exceptions at some point of our life and experience, we will have a personal or an interpersonal challenge and that would then be the time to work with a professional. If we look at statistics that they say 70 to 80% of conditions that primary care physicians sees in their practice, they are related to stress as well. And how to handle stress and that we can learn what we can do about it. There are ways and there are coping skills if we know that. And therefore it is important that people know that there is help and that where to go for help as well. Could you share a little more on what that process might look like of, of recognizing some of the symptoms you're talking about? If there are shifts in one's body and one's mood or personality, how do we, how do we go about recognizing this? And it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky answer that doesn't have a clear right or wrong way to go about doing this, but I'm hopeful you could just share a few more words on that process. Yeah, I, I would think that, that you come to a point where you realize that, that, for instance, you cannot focus as much in your work or in your school as what you did before. You realize in your relationships that you feel more on the edge. And before you get yourself as you are, you know, reacting in ways that you regret afterwards. So they are small indicators that people may not realize themselves or they may have people sharing and asking them what what is happening and 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 point that out to them but i think it is also to be aware that 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 this is part of everyday life but if we have several things happening at the same time or if that's a significant incident in their lives that they know that is very normal that we at those times need some specific help to help us through that time there are many points where you might recognize a change in your environment where you might get feedback from another person about sort of how you're feeling or what your state is. You might experience shifts in performance at school or in a work environment or have more distress in, in an interpersonal relationship that you were talking about. And part of what we're discussing today is 
how, recognizing those, those smaller indicators that you mentioned a moment ago, and then maybe taking action or responding to those indicators in a way that sets yourself up for future health and well-being. And a critical part of what it means to, to have health and, and well-being is this notion of resilience. I'm aware this is a real focus area of yours, Renelle. So I'm, I'm curious, could you tell me a little more about what that word means? It's, it's rather big. I know that. And then yeah. cue me into how that's relevant to our conversation. Okay. I, I like to use more uh, regular words to describe it as more technical terms, but it's resilience would be our ability to bounce back when things are tough. And I also think we need to distinguish there are different kinds of, of resilience. I think if we use the word resilience and think of an athlete, uh, people are having natural way of understanding what resilience is, but it's actually more than that as, as, as than physical. Physical will also mean for you and me, what does it mean to maintain our health and well-being? What, what, because we are a whole person, we are not different parts, all the parts come together in the end. If, if we think of how we are thinking, the ability to focus and keep attention when we are under pressure, people will oftentimes say when they are under pressure, for instance, if there's a big exam coming up and that they realize that certain parts of, of the work they cannot recall because their stress levels were just too high, there was stress anxiety, but how, how do we train our brain to help to focus and, and keep attention when we are under pressure? so that we keep sound judgment and that we keep our memory when we are under stress as well and how we can call, call those parts back uh, when, when we need that. Then there's also emotional resilience and that would be also how do I handle my emotions under a, a disposition of stress? Uh, do I stay realistic and flexible or do I get very rigid and, and not willing to look anything further than this is just the one way that I'm seeing this? Then we also talk about spiritual resilience, and that is to keep a higher meaning and purpose. We oftentimes see when people go through through tough times, that that might be a time when they have what keeps them going and getting up in the morning is to have purpose, that they feel that they can still get up. And in times like what we have at the moment, also with the COVID-19, that people realize by reaching out to others, like altruistic perspectives, that that's also part of their um, the resilience as well, where we see the needs of other people. So if we think back of times in our life when we, we had some growth, more often than not, when I gave workshops on the topic, I would ask people, can they think uh, what happened before that time of growth? And with, without exception, what I hear is that people say, yes, yes, it was preceded by adversity that that they were why that time of growth was so meaningful and 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 that they could feel as a person that they've grown so that that is that one of the i would say side effects of of resilience in a, in a positive way as well that it's a time of growth such an intriguing answer Renell, and it focuses my mind on a follow-up question which is how does resilience and the way you are describing it play out differently in varying mm. cultural environments. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an big question. <laughs> interesting question, and, and I can go many places with that. But I think the most uh, prominent that one that come to my mind, when if I think more recently, is on a personal level. 
three years ago, my husband, who uh, was the mayor of our city for 30 years, passed away. And him and I did enjoy doing different projects together. And he was part of the uh, global community hub that I find that founded and that is affiliated with the Byzantine Institute of MIT. And we have members from all over the world. But when he passed, what I realized is well, everything went so fast and he was um, ill for a short time is that the local community is also, there's something like private grief for us as a family, but there was also public grief of, of people who was, was shocked by what happened. And they were very supportive, but also what was wonderful in addition to the local community is also the global community who was reaching out and they are coming from different cultures and how they could use their way of handling loss and grieving in different ways that they could be wonderfully supportive. I mean, I can use many, many examples, but one was a note from one of our members from Thailand, who's in a sort of a position that would be similar of what we, we would say is uh, now retired, but he was like uh, similar to a, uh, a governor. And then, you know, even more recently as well, as we talk about resilience, a young member uh, of, of Italy who had to drop out of his medical studies as a result of COVID-19 and was asking mm -hmm. some mentoring in terms of how to handle this in terms of next steps in his life. So we now have more than 400 members from 57 countries, but I, I learned so much in terms of, of how we can support each other through a time like this with our own unique contributions that we all have in a deep and meaningful manner. And the, and the message that I get consistently is we are in this together. So that, that it, to me is wonderful to see how resilience play out uniquely and how we can support from, from where we are to each other as well, because we all connected through the same earth. So important. And I, I just think these are great examples of how resiliency really manifests and, and plays out differently in unique cultural environments. And that is, that's an okay thing. And in many cases, a good thing. That, it, that, that, that occurs. I want to shift now, Ronell, to hear a little bit more about the scope of your practice. Could you share a few thoughts on how resiliency can be applied to improve well-being or to get to that place of being healthier from your own experiences working with clients? Okay, yes, you know, for people in, in the fields of psychology or medicine, neurosciences has taught us quite a few things in the more recent years. But I think that was very important to bring the language to that every person in the street can understand us as well. So we know now from neurosciences that it is possible to, to retrain our brain. And then the next question for the person would be then, okay, you say that, but tell me how. And that is where the health professional comes in because when, when we are under high stress, it is a natural reaction for the body and kinds of high stress or trauma where the body, the mind and the emotions disconnect in an in a, in a effort to, to try to cope uh, with the intensity of what is experienced. And then what is the role of the professional person uh, who is trained is then to provide a safe space where listening deeply and building trust 
helps to rebuild the sense of self-awareness on the way back to healing and to provide some, I always, when I talk with little kids, I talk about uh, asking, say, do you, dad has a toolbox? Yes. I say, well, it's like having an imaginary toolbox where you put in all these tools that you can take out. You have it always with you, but that you can take out when you need that. So taking, taking ownership of your mental health that is where we have a healthcare system where we need to focus on the whole person, knowing that, yes, I can do something about my health and well-being. There are certain basic steps if I know, just know what they are, and that we will strive for collaborative action between the different parts of healthcare systems by, for instance, using technology to provide resources to more people. And that the individual will need to take more ownership and to reach out to these resources that should be reliable resources to support them. And then with, with, if we talk about self-care or self-harm, that we will seek out qualified mental health professionals like the health service psychologists so that we can stay proactive and taking care of our health and well-being. Thanks for saying that, Ronelle, and particularly that last point, which I think is really vital. I want to emphasize along those lines that an immediate resource to have access to, particularly in situations where there's self-harm that you, that you mentioned, or if you're in a crisis situation, is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is available 24-7, and that's at 1-800-273-8255. And of course, the National Register of Health Service Psychologists website findapsychologist.org also compiles thousands of credentialed health service psychologists that can be reviewed. For this episode of the Psychology Hour, I'm Daniel Elkert. Thanks for listening, and a special thank you to my guest, Dr. Ronell Langley, for shedding light on what it means to take ownership of your mental health. This episode has been brought to you by the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, and a reminder that this and all episodes of the Psychology Hour do not provide mental health services and are instead intended for general information and discussion purposes only. Please consult with a qualified healthcare provider for your mental health needs.